podcast lovers, aficionados, academics and producers. This is New Oral Cultures. Hello and welcome to the new season of New Oral Cultures podcast. I'm Dario Linares. It's great to be back with you. Um, Well, what a few weeks it has been, even since our last episode. I don't know about you guys, but I'm having the odd sensation that time is kind of somehow being decoupled from reality, uh, as though life is moving extraordinarily quickly, but seems to somehow be quite static at the same time. As with most of you, I'm sure I continue to kind of stagger onwards on a cocktail of disrupted sleep, frazzled emotions, anxieties, uncertainties, and quite a bit of fear and anger, actually. Um, I had my first experience with COVID itself over the holiday period. So on the 20th of December, which was a Saturday, the day after kind of my teaching had had finished, I got pinged on the NHS Test and Trace app telling me that I'd been in contact with somebody who'd... um, who'd been obviously diagnosed or tested as having COVID. And I thought, okay, so I need to self-isolate now for two weeks, thinking to myself, okay, that's uh, that's not going to be a, a great Christmas period. But then the following day on the s- Sunday, I started to get the symptoms myself. So I had a cough, really bad fever, really strong fatigue. So I just felt like I didn't want to get out of bed at all. Um and, and started developing headaches. And, the, and and they were really the story of my symptoms, really. It wasn't so much the cough and the fever, which I could deal with, but I just got these incredible migraines that were like razor blades through my very thoughts. And yeah, it was, it was horrendous isolating over Christmas and sort of being given a plate now and again, you know, by my partner in, in the bedroom. Um, but then... To not be able to read or to watch movies or anything like that because these headaches were so bad. I was having to just sit in a darkened room and kind of try and disassociate myself from the pain. And I know that sounds like hyperbolic, but it really wasn't fun or pleasant at all. And, you know, after you've been watching the news for a year, more or less, best part of a year, and all you hear is the, you know, the total numbers of fatalities, and even in your rational mind, it's you try to think about the fact that you know I'm reasonably healthy in good shape but you hear about these cases of of people who are in that situation are dying and it it makes you sort of anxious to realize what if the what if this uh little cough or sniffle is actually going to develop into something worse like the dreaded long covid or even you know even worse than that um and you know over time I was kind of like I was resigned to the fact that, that that COVID is here and it was going to disrupt my life and and don't get me wrong, you know, sort of Christmas Eve, Christmas Day and and uh, Boxing Day were not fun at all. Just sat there doing nothing for for hours on end trying to deal with the pain. But since kind of recovering a little bit, and I don't think I have you know any long term symptoms. It doesn't seem to have manifested itself in in that way, thankfully. Um, but just you know, engaging with the news and seeing again the 
the kind of discourse of the way that the government has handled things. I'm I'm getting more and more angry at the baked-in ineptitude of the administration to to deal with this situation. They seem to be three weeks to a month behind what the scientists seem to suggest is is the way forward. And there there still doesn't seem to be a real plan to be able to get us out out of this. And even the the vaccine rollout. You know, in some ways you could say the government should be applauded for getting the vaccine out there. But again, this decision about the second jab, it just seems to me that everything is still being made, all decisions are still being made on a political basis rather than on on a on a on basically first of all a biological basis, but then on a, on on the needs of of the public. And it looks like the UK here in London, you know, it's we're in a pretty bad way. The lockdown looks like being in place till the spring, but the level of compliance, I mean, just anecdotally going out on the streets, I think is open to question. Um, I know many of you are academics and we are in, uh, the university is stopping people going onto campus until at least mid-February, which obviously aligns with the um, government's uh look at when they will try to open up again but it seems to me all the mood mood music is about extending the 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 lockdown even further and i think even though we're not telling the students this directly yet it seems to me that that teaching will be more or less wholly remote until at least easter but i, I as with the government i get the, the sense that that the university sector in the uk is not really doing any long-term planning. There's little radical thought, it seems to me, going on with regards to what higher education will actually look like and what we want it to be like in the 21st century beyond what what are problematic um, political decisions, again, around, you know, neoliberal streaming and, and the ideology, ideology of trying to... Um, maintain universities on the same model of uh, economic marketization. And the way in this particular context that they are doing that is looking to, to, to cut jobs and cut courses, which, you know, is just a really regressive way of thinking about what the future of higher education could and should be. I mean, I was, t I was talking, uh, I was invited to a, a session to talk about podcasting, but we we did go off in the conversation about what universities are going to be like. And I think that the blended learning model is going to continue into next year and beyond. I just think that, you know, the idea of a big lecture theatre, you know, with 150 students in it, that's kind of over now, I think. And we will be delivering education on a mixed methodology, mixed pedagogic praxis, I think, where some will be online and some will be... Um, face-to-face -face live but I don't think that is being thought through certainly in terms of the mood music around what university is concerned now it seems to be much more in the short to medium term rather than thinking about next academic year and beyond um, I have to say I did get some pleasure out of watching Trump leave office watching it I thought it was somewhat of a pathetic denouement to an ignominious and destructive period, not just for America, I think, but globally. And the question of whether will the trauma of modern society continue 
in the wake of the Orange Menace's departure. And it was just soothing to see culture and the arts and a sense of humour and a sen sense of empathy back at the centre of public life. As many have pointed out, Amanda Gorman's performance of her poem really stood out. And it's interesting that the spoken word and its performative beauty, its eloquence, its seriousness, and even transcendence, it was like a rhetorical cleanse after four years of barely literate invective. And I have to say it was lovely that Trump wasn't able to rage tweet the entire thing. His silence was, was golden, for want of a better word. And this was despite some of the interesting and valid debates around big, big tech's role in defining freedom of, freedom of speech going forward. I mean, the, the issues of what Biden will do and, and what kind of candidate and whether his centrism and his bipartisanship are, are actually going to be the thing that solves the obvious problems that, that are facing America particularly. But obviously, whatever America does, does kind of filter through to the rest of the, the, the world. Um, you know, the fact that white nationalist populism is not just going to disappear and it's going to go somewhere. Um, but for just one day, and after the shocking scenes on Capitol Hill, it was nice to, sense, to, nice to have a sense of calm, albeit one secured by 20,000 National Guards, of course. Uh, there's a lot going on in the podcast world, it seems, as always. I've actually been thinking about how to move forward with, with this podcast in terms of both form and content and how to direct the, the focus of, of what we do here on New Oral Cultures. I think that the staple of the show is going to continue to be myself or Richard Berry or guests, guest hosts that I invite on um, interviewing someone about their podcasting or audio-based work. That will be the kind of grounding episodes that you will hear on you oral cultures. Um, but I don't think the podcast is going to be particularly on the industry per se. And I think that other people do kind of podcast news and industry updates and, and even industry commentary a lot better than I could, particularly because they've got more time and support to be able to do that. I'm thinking particularly of um, Pod News, J James Cridland or Nick Qua or the Bellow Collective, for example, spring to mind. And I think also underpinning their approach is the discourse of political economy. So how is podcasting developing, particularly from a, a commercial and economic standpoint? And though that is obviously important, um, it's not the only story with regards to podcasting. And here on New Oral Cultures, we'll be focusing more on the philosophical, cultural, social and aesthetic explorations of podcasts. And obviously we'll try to bring you people and work that is interesting, experimental, and perhaps a little bit more under the ra radar and not even intentionally not, not commercial. What are the motivations that, that podcasters have that are outside of those um, obvious concerns? Having said that, I am toying with the idea of moving the podcast from Anchor to a different hosting site, 
one that allows for expanded show notes and transcripts. Um, I found that the text section on Anchor is very limiting, but this would require, I think, some funding, which we don't have. We're com you know, completely without any kind of economic or institutional support. It's a totally independent venture, this. Um, so I'm thinking about maybe opening a Patreon account or looking at um, joining a hosting site that has some sponsorship or even even commercial options, which is not ideal. But um, any thoughts on that would be most welcome. One of the things that you can do on Anchor is record a response as a listener to what you've heard. And if anybody really is interested in doing that, recording their own comment on anything that gets said on the podcast, please do so. And I will look to include that on future episodes and, and answer it directly. Obviously, on New Oral Cultures, there is an academic skew to the approach as um, producers and contributors are mainly academics. But of course, one of the challenges and one of the many areas of interest is the very possibilities of communication and knowledge exchange that podcasting allows. And with that in mind, where we're looking at potential partnerships, I'm in conversation with Stacey Copeland and Hannah McGregor um, and their team from the Spoken Web podcast and the Amplify Network. If you haven't already, you should definitely go and check out their podcasts. And um, I'll link to those on, on the show notes. But we're hoping to do some kind of uh, uh, cross-distribution and publication, audio publication um, in the future and maybe appear in each other's podcasts. And also with that in mind, if anybody out there does have any um, podcasting work that they want to distribute and they don't have a... Um, uh, they haven't set up their own platform for distribution. They haven't got a kind of uh, a specific um, hosting and distribution infrastructure. Then it would be really great if you reach out to us and say that you would like to publish your work through New Oral Cultures. We're very happy to talk to people about that, and and I think that that's a way in which I see the uh, the network of of New Oral Cultures expanding in the future, and. With that in mind, today's episode features Brazilian PhD student Daniel Bacchieri, who is studying at Monash University in Melbourne. And his research focuses on the local, global and trans-social dynamics of street music. And he is the creator of an amazing website and project called Street Music Map, which is a kind of interactive digital archive of buskers and street performers globally along with a podcast entitled Street Music Map Radio. And we talk about his process in detail, the um, dynamics of PhD research on podcasting more broadly, and discuss some of the issues around podcasting's fraught relationship with music. Um, but just before we get into the, the main body of the interview, I just wanted to quickly mention an interesting Twitter discussion that I was tagged in just last night by John Sullivan, uh, obviously a colleague who's presented on the uh, on your oral cultures um, before. Um, and this was regarding an article about, quote-unquote, the 20th birthday of podcasting, which was a, an article that I caught through Pod News, which, again, is, is James Cridland's site. Um, but it was written by Eric Newsom. Um, I think that's how you pronounce it. And it kind of challenged the conventional wisdom of 
um, 2004, 2005 being the, the timeline as to when podcasting as a medium came into being. And, and, and this obviously aligns when the term was actually coined by Ben Hammersley. Um, so this piece in Pod News argues that podcasting is actually 20 years old and dates back, the specific date that, that Eric gives is January the 20th, 2001. And this is the, the, the date when Dave Weiner actually completed the code changes that would allow sound to be distributed as part of the RSS feed. So for Newsom, this is essentially the first podcast feed. So marks the birth of podcasting, even though there is no infrastructure to listen yet and no podcasts and no name. So cue a lively discussion on Twitter about the interpretation of the historical birth of podcasting. And this was essentially split into two camps. What I'll call one, the tech originalists, and two, the cultural originalists. Um, and Newsom is in the first camp, obviously. And then Robert Greenlee, who is the VP of Libsyn, who chimed into the conversation on Twitter, is in the latter camp. And interestingly, James Cridland sat beautifully on the fence, I thought, by saying that podcasting is like the queen and can have two birthdays. Um, but Andrew Bottomley and Richard Berry both commented, linking to questions about whether the, D the DNA of podcasting come is more aligned to radio or to blogging in its inception. But for me, the, there are various interesting elements to this conversation that, that, that came out. But I'm more or less in agreement with Richard in that the historical discourse of the emergence of a of an event or a phenomenon or a medium as we're talking about here depends on the perspective from which you approach it. So a kind of technologically determinist standpoint looks more directly at the functionality of the technology and not its outcomes. But a more social constructionist perspective takes into account the broader context of media dynamics and the complexities of media processes, which may involve you know, the interrelationship between production and reception and the technologies that all feed in together to allow that to happen. And this requires a broader socio-cultural nuance. Um, so I'll link to the article in, in question on the show notes and the relevant tweets so you can get a sense of the discussion. And as I've said, if anybody's got any comments on this and they want to record them or send them to me on social media, then please feel free to do, do so. And maybe we'll pick this conversation up on later episodes. Um, just to, before we get into the interview again, just to say that we, we do have some great interviews lined up. And I'm also interested in, in thinking about maybe doing the odd monologue episode. I'm still kind of in two minds and these introductions are serving as a kind of test case for that. And I'm trying to use a model that, that is slightly more scripted than I, I usually use. But I think it's, I don't know, I'm in two minds, <laughs> whether I've got um, the right kind of voice and the right kind of deliver delivery that is interesting enough for people to listen to in a, in a monologue sense. I always get the impression that I'm better when I'm sparking off somebody else. But I don't know, maybe maybe t um, somebody out there would like to comment on that too. Would, would a 45-minute a monologue from me 
in my you know narcissistic sense of myself be something that's of interest anyway thanks very much for joining me again on new oral cultures i hope you enjoy the season to come let's get into today's interview which is as i say with daniel bacchieri a phd student um, studying at monash university who is behind the street music map podcast So, Daniel, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. I really, really uh, appreciate it. It's great to speak to you. Thank you so much, Dario. It's uh, it's an honor to be part of your guesting list. Really, really nice again to speak to another PhD student through which podcasting is the kind of basis of their of their research, both in a kind of methodological sense, but also, I mean, your project, which obviously we'll get into in, in great detail, is a kind of culmination of mediums and technologies and it, it's about music well specifically street music and and also you know the idea of kind of cultural space in the city but also transnationalism so there's loads of stuff to to talk about but yeah i just wondered uh you know what's your what's your current status as it were whereabouts are you i know you're based in australia with with the podcast but you're not there right now is that right yes correct i'm right now in porto Alegre, brazil is that where you're from originally? Yeah, I'm from a, a, a smaller town down south called Rio Grande, uh, nearby Uruguay. My family, my relatives are in Porto Alegre and Brazil. And uh, during the COVID, I'm right now uh, here. But since I'm in the middle of like that deep writing of the PhD, right? I have the the Monash University authorized me to to be abroad. But my my field research is in Melbourne, and right. that that's what I was doing during 2019 and 2020, and right. uh, 2020. That's when my field work became kind of hybrid because I start doing the field work <clears throat> on the streets, and once we got the lockdown, I realized that once I got in touch with the street musicians. I could reach them by Zoom, through Zoom, right. and then I start to interviewing them by Zoom. So there's the first episodes of the podcast are from street field work, right? Sure. But once you got the lockdown, then I went, yeah. oh, I could use Zoom to do yeah. the field work and as a resource, as a tool to produce the podcast as well. So yeah, it'll be interesting to talk a little bit later about podcasting as a methodology and then how you've adapted that in terms of doing the PhD and sort of saying, okay, you know, here is field work, but I can't do it anymore. But now we have this remote technology and how that's opening up possibilities kind of methodologically. But it's interesting to hear that you are in Brazil, not because of lockdown, but but because you're doing your writing up phase. And I, I mean, I've, I've asked this to, to many guests, How and, and you've talked, to, you've sort of spoken to it a little bit there, but how have you felt just sort of personally as a researcher and, you know, dealing with all of the, the craziness and the, the situation in the world right now and, and having to go from one place to, a, to another? And obviously, you know, from what I read, Australia has its own set of circumstances around COVID and, and South America and, and Brazil have has other sets of circumstances. So you're sort of dealing with lots of different ways of, of experiencing the pandemic, shall we say? Sure. Yeah. Now it's it's all about writing and keep reading. So I, I, I feel like now it's the time to 
to get all my references and like keep keep going for it, the discovering momentum. new ones. But yeah. uh, I'm doing like uh, it's it is writing and uh, keep interviewing, right? What I decide from the start go uh, is I was not uh, sure about should I release the field work as a podcast right now or should I release right. after finishing the thesis? And I, I didn't want to lose the momentum because one of the main questions right now is how you as a street musician are dealing with the COVID pandemic, right? Right. And I want to to do the interview and right away like deliver, like release. So because I I'm sure that in the next six months or twelve months, even my questions will change a little bit, you know. Sure. So I have yeah I, I, I'm gonna have different groups of street musicians dealing with different things like pre-lockdown, during lockdown, post-lockdown, and God forbids, but if the lockdown comes back again, then it's a new yeah, question, yeah. right? Yeah, no, without without a doubt. And, and listening to a um a couple of the episodes, you get you get that sense that the the artists are sort of now dealing with this new new situation and the whole idea of what a street artist is culturally is now i mean it, it definitely has changed in the digital age hasn't it because now the idea of where street art artists can get noticed is not just a physical thing it has to be a parallel with a kind of digital life or you know a, a, a digital visibility and availability on in in sound terms but where does this love of music and particularly street music come from? I mean, are, are you a, a musician, a street musician yourself? Was it was it something that that you know you had as a um, as a kid, you know, and, and and has just been obsessed with that in in your life? Yeah, yeah, I'm an admirer of music, so like uh, I play around saying like I'm a I think I'm a good listener, <laughs> not, okay. a, not a good player. That helps. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I always uh, I'm always curious about new talents. And that's one of the things that I, I, I'm looking for to justify, to, to, to explore on my thesis. I treat the sidewalk as a music venue. So right. it's like going to that small bar, small pub of your city and trying to discover new talents. Instead of going indoors, you have the outdoor stage, you know. So uh, that's the spark. That's the fun of it, you know, like trying to find new names, like trying to listen new sounds that you discover in a street corner, you know. Yeah. And uh, from my background, you know, like I not as a musician, but as a journalist. So right. uh, trying to, you know, like that teenager that goes to record store and spend the whole day inside the record store. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and it's pretty much... Half music, half cinema, cinema for me. Yeah, that sounds familiar. <laughs> you, you get on with my uh, colleague who I um, produce the uh, the cinematologist with Neil. Um, he's very much of that ilk. So you, I'll have to introduce you to him because I think you get on very well. Um, in terms of sort of th thinking about the PhD in in a you know in an academic sense and what it's what it's trying to do, not not to put you on the spot and give you an early viva or anything like that, but just sort of reading kind of what the aims of the PhD are, it seems to me, I mean, again, correct me if I'm wrong, but the way I, I sort of read it was this idea of both street music being a kind of trans-social language and that sense of where communication occurs is beyond 
simple informational exchange. It's kind of more the idea of experiences and uh, connectivity and community that goes from the local to the global. But also, I think with the street mapping, there's this element of the idea of the city as a physical space that's defined by music. I mean, are, are those two elements sort of at play in the in the PhD? Yeah, I, I agree. And uh, <clears throat> rewriting translocal and uh, different sounds and using the city as a stage, I believe that goes in a 360 movement because we are talking about something that is produced offline. So you have a music that is being performed on the streets. But once you make this content available online, you have two different audiences. You have the offline, you have the pedestrians and the commuters, and then you have people, fans that never been to that city and actually can follow live, like on yeah. streaming. So like you can be like, the musician can be on any digital platform, push the, the, the live button and uh, you can be followed by, you know, you are playing Melbourne and you have a fan watching live from New York and vice versa. So that's the interdisciplinary things that I, I like to explore because there is different, different connections, different behaviors. One of the interesting feedbacks that I get from street musicians that one of the one of the things that they really like is you as an artist are in, on the same level of your fan and uh, most of the time there's no security so right. the connection it's high level there is that live energy that influence right away on, on your song you know so there's a sense in which an immediacy of interconnection that you get from busking in the physical sense on the street and you're looking for ways in which you can turn that connection into a kind of global possibility using all of the different facets of digital technology and the internet and the podcast. And again, when you're when you're analyzing, you're writing up now, are you sort of, is that the kind of critical approach that you're using that sense of, you know, interrogation of the, of the technology and the, the, the possibilities that, that that affords in creating these kinds of connections? Yeah, because there is a, a duality. There is like that that sensation that me as a as a fan, nothing is better than being like on a small venue and right in front of your favorite sure. band. At the same time, what a blast is like you have the chance to be really close to your favorite band, even without traveling to the venue, to the street, uh, like maybe your favorite band is your favorite band is from Melbourne. You'll never be in Melbourne, right? Yeah, yeah. And uh, this, I think, this is a positive thing about the digital, the digital world. At the same time, uh, that's what I do with the map mapping the street musicians and sure. sharing is because it's like you are trying to to pass that feeling that you travel through the videos, right? You travel through the, the map. So I think there is, there is pros and cons of like sharing content uh, digitally. That's one of the things I, I wanted to ask you because looking at your website and for the audience, I'll link to this in the show notes so you can go and click on what we're talking about here. But your website is really impressive 
in terms of the the navigation and and what you're talking about. So you can link to the podcasts where you have these um, episodes where there's di- there's discussion with the artist with their music cut in. But then this street music map, as you've as you've named it, and what it looks like is there is just there there, there are pinpoints on the map that you can kind of zoom into, like a Google Maps. And you go in there, you press that, and it takes you the link immediately to Instagram videos of that artist, you know, performing. And some are quite short, some are quite long, all different types of music across the world. So I I clicked on one in Brighton, because that's where, you know, that's where I teach. And yeah, you know, I knew exactly where it was. And I, I think I've actually seen those uh, street performers uh, live myself. So it's really, it's really interesting, the kind of navigation and the adoption of different types of technologies, different types of social media, and different types of um, medium exchange, if I can call it that. So again, was that sort of something that you had in mind um, early on in, in the development of the of the PhD, or were you kind of thinking, you know, was this a sort of always going to be a PhD by practice? And having all of these uh, kinds of technologies together, how did that sort of uh, develop in your in your process? Yeah, my my the genesis of my process was the first thing that I did was back in 2013. I was traveling through Ukraine, and I saw a street musician playing on a, uh, in a park in Kiev. And at that moment, it was August 2013 have been like a few weeks since Instagram uh, released like the 15 seconds uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, feature. Before that, it was just a steady photo, right? Yeah. And then I still photo. So, and then I realized, oh, there's like this 15 second thing on Instagram. Maybe since I'm watching a street musician filming the film, would be more interesting to film instead of just taking a, a picture, right? Yeah. And that was the, my insight when I realized like, oh, there is a storytelling here. This 15 seconds, like, yeah, you, 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 you get a glimpse of what th- this musician does on the streets. And then I went back to Brazil. I moved from Porto Alegre to Sao Paulo. And my apartment was really close to subway stations in Sao Paulo. Sure. And then I I look around and I saw one musician, two, three, four. I said, oh, I'm going to keep filming the street musicians here in Sao Paulo. And then I got, once I had like seven, eight videos, I opened up an Instagram account. And first it was on my personal account. And a great friend of mine, uh, we were having lunch during work uh, work break, and I was oh I'm doing this. I decided to do this short doc series about street musicians. I'm uploading on my personal account. It's called at that time I I called Street Microdocs. Okay. And then he told me, uh, why don't you open like a why don't you customize the account? Like instead of uploading on, on your personal account, open, instead of doing a hashtag, open up a user called Street Microdocs. And like, yeah. Sure, sure. So I did on the, during lunch. I, okay, open up. There's new one. And then I start uploading the videos that I film. 
And then I start to ask my friends, who else has any street musicians on their phones? Uh, would you like to be part of the project, collaborate, and then become like a, co a collab project featuring street musicians? And uh, every, uh, I always, I'm, I always look into to credit the musicians and the person who filmed. And uh, at, in the, at the beginning, I was like, okay, if I don't have the name of the street musicians, I'm not going to upload. But then I realized the followers were help me out to identify to them. find them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so like, if I don't have the name of the musician, I always do like I announce like, if anyone knows his name, her name, let me know. And then sure. a follower says, oh, it's the name of the musician is that. And like, and then I update yeah. the information. Then I realized like the, the followers will help me with the content and the musicians start to send videos by direct message. Yeah, I was going to ask that. I bet, I bet at some point a critical mass occurred when you didn't have to look anymore. People were sending you stuff, yeah? Yeah, then, then you start to build, you realize, well, there's this pretty interesting network uh, being uh, created and being uh, feed, you know? So mm. my first, this was 2013, and then I, uh, I released the, I opened up the account on 2014. And... For four, four years, five years, it was my self-thought uh, uh, production curation as something that's like for joy, you know, like that I, mm. was something that got me interested to. But at some at some point, people start to asking me and interviewing me to talk about the theme. To talk about, yeah, yeah. oh, can I interview you? To, to, I'm, I'm, I'm doing this article. I'm writing this thesis. I'm writing this um, um, short uh, article about uh, street music. Then I realize, I think I'm doing, uh, I'm, I'm doing academic research without knowing, you know. Well, you're doing archival research and, yeah. and you know what I mean without and, and it's just your in, maybe at that sense it was your hobby but then it really becomes a resource that people are interested in and, and can you know it's a lot of data you know which is amazing and then uh, that's when I like why not why not uh trying to apply you know like for because then I got curious like okay how can I are there people talking about the same thing? Like, can I, is there a theory around what I'm doing? Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, what am I doing? You know, like, is, yeah. is there a name for this? <laughs> so, yeah. so I, I, I have like two, two steps uh, back to, to the university because I'm, I'm a journalist. I've been uh, working as a content producer since late nineties. So, since 1998 uh, as a reporter, TV reporter, TV editor, then a little bit of radio. Then I start to like being a, like a film editor for documentaries, couple of sure. advertisings, but, and branded content as well, but branded content using the documentary uh, approach, right? Sure. And, uh, but like, I got my bachelor's degree 
for journalism in 1999. So on 2017, I did. Uh, I went to New York to be a fellow at the Tonight Center of, of, for Entrepreneur Journalism at CUNY right. in New York. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And my project it was Street Music Map. So like I spent six uh, months uh, developing the street music map concept in New York and doing a lot of field work, uh, interviewing the, street, the musicians on uh, New York underground. And in 2018-19, I started to apply for master's and PhD programs around the world. And Monash University had a street music research group. Ah, right. So it fit in perfectly with that. Yeah. So like I, I, I sent applications around and uh, the connection with Monash University was a lot of matching regarding content. In terms of the, the what you talk about, again, with regards to the different types of technologies, I just wondered, I mean, I, I want to come on to talking about the podcast specifically in, in a second, but I think there's a really interesting question here about the ways in which the promise of what the internet was going to deliver in terms of connectivity when it first emerged. You know, it was going to be this open public forum for debate and bypassing of gatekeepers. And that was all going to be this positive utopian thing. And then, you know, now in 2020, we have so many problems in terms of the way that, you know, social media particularly is structured to manipulate us as economic units and and the problem of manipulation of information. And I'm just wondering how much of that question in terms of the kind of clash between the corporate digital economy, the clash of that with, say, independent art and culture is kind of structures your thinking in, in, in your dissertation. Yeah, it's interesting that uh, through my research, especially in the last six months, you see that musicians and especially musicians that are playing on the streets, I realize like doesn't matter if you start performing like yesterday or like in the last five years, you have a digital ID, right? Yeah. So you already have your Facebook account, you do have the Instagram or a TikTok or you have like a, at least a, your first single on Spotify, but you can find there is a repertoire on Spotify. Some people prefer SoundCloud. Yeah. There is the ones that are just on Bandcamp. So you have different. It's not. It's slightly different playlists in different platforms. People are not so into Spotify or Apple, but they are, yeah. they are okay with Bandcamp of. They have material on Mixcloud. Is that almost a sort of subconsciously political decision or maybe even a consciously political decision that artists are like and even listeners are like, no, I'm not engaging with that yeah. platform. I'm engaging with this. Yeah, that's, some, that, that's something that I, I want to get deep deeper into it. But like sure. reading, reading articles and reading other researchers, I think we are on this track. You know, like there are some yeah. platforms that are more interesting for the musician and uh, I'm aware that there is like really solid studies about how many a musician can make on this or that platform this yeah. is like that's the that's the discussion right now about 
music rights, correct? Yeah. And, oh, uh, oh, big time. Big time. Yeah. Especially around podcasting as well. Yeah. So and there is like there is like that different approach that no, there is no material on the digital form. Mm-hmm. Because well, they are not they don't pay me, I'm not gonna release like this way. Sure. So different uh different approaches, but it is interesting that uh there is different levels of acceptance and uh appearance on certain platforms, right? It's fascinating because of the difficulties of securing music rights to use music on podcasts. I mean, this is one of the, again, one of the sort of historical questions of podcasting, I think, in a structural sense. Because of that issue of of rights, that's why music and podcasts have had this kind of strange clash, I suppose, or they don't seem to sync up because of those issues. But having said that, it would seem to me then that podcasting could be a great place for independent street level non-signed musicians to basically have a space for creation but also maybe even um have the opportunity to monetize in ways that that that, that goes straight to them and cut out all of those issues but i suppose that that's still an issue with regards to monetization of anything on the internet. It, it becomes very, it becomes very difficult. I mean, you're somebody who's at the at the forefront of this. Do you get a sense that there is a a culture of independent musicians that do find a space within podcasting, or is it is that just you, really? <laughs> you know, you're you're one of the few spaces for that. Yeah, I, I I hope to since my eye my eyes are on the streets. Uh, and that's what I try to do with with my editing, because I treat my podcast as a short doc. And for sure, like my mindset for cutting comes from video. Right. So interesting. And even like doing like a, to share like a really uh, inside thing, like a, a detail. Like I do my editing on Premiere Rush because oh, okay because All I'm right. used to the tool, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I just. I play around with Audacity and uh, and others, but then I realize, oh, I'm so comfortable with the Premiere. Let's do it here and just export without the video, you know? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I just read an article the other day that talked about how for podcast production in an industry sense, Pro Tools is the standard, but Pro Tools is so complicated and yeah. so difficult. And what that, what that means is the article was arguing that creative Pete, people who who edit on Audition or Audacity or, or on the one that you mentioned are not getting into the jobs. And that's actually having an, an issue with things like diversity and, and great editors of color not getting these top production jobs because they don't necessarily use that standard format, which is a, an interesting thing. I mean, I use I use Audition but yeah, I think it's it's whatever you're you're comfortable with for sure. Yeah, it's whatever you're comfortable. With, it's it's just about shortcuts, and if you are com- comfortable with the shortcut with this keyboard, yeah, just play it, right? <laughs> but uh, talking about as a tool to present the artist work, that's what I try to do with the with my narrative because it's about the musician share their inspiration and uh, sound bites from their work, you know, like short, short sound bites. But so it's like, um, it's a presentation. It's like the business card from the musician, you know, like, oh, yeah, yeah, look yeah. it out. That's, that's my opinion. And that's my material, you know, that's my art. Mm. 
Yeah, I, I wanted to I wanted to get into the uh, the format of the podcast itself. So they're they're all of them. I think are less than ten minutes long. That's right, isn't it? And it seems to me you 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 ask questions about, as you said, biography influences style, maybe even about the effects of COVID. But your edit cuts your own voice. Your voice is not on there, so it's just a kind of cut between the music as an example, and then the artist talking. So, I mean, that was my first sort of thought. Okay, I wondered whether you'd ever kind of considered that it was going to be a, you know, a conversation like this, rather than just being the the artists themselves. What was your th- sort of thinking behind that? Well, my, it's it, my intention, like, that's, that's, uh, it's on purpose, like to, to get a faster rhythm, and uh, to put the musician on the spotlight, you know? Right. You don't even think about the presenter. It's all about the musician. And uh, regarding the, the length, I'm experimenting. And then I, I did one, two, three, four. And I'm like, yeah, it's getting around seven, eight, nine minutes. And uh, I didn't want to push any further if there is no need to push any further, you know? Sure. But there's a couple of ones, like two things. It's, it's all about... Uh, w- w- what they answer, of course, you know, like if of it's course. a short, if that, if it's a short and solid answer, that's it, we got it. Yep. But sometimes you have like a, you have like a short story, like a, like something really unique that happened, and like yeah, keep let it flow, you know. Yeah, yeah. And on the other, another thing interesting, like we are talking about mostly about musicians that just started out, right? But until now, because like I, 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 my, I intend to, to have like a, a different profiles and people that are like old school street musicians. So like the the body of work, it's by nature is 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 bigger, right? But if you have like, oh, I have how many songs do you have? Like one or two. Oh, so the episode will be shorter, right? Because I want to illustrate with different parts of the song, but then. That's it. But if you have like, if there's a, if you are a prolific musician already, like I, I intend to like, uh, I, I play around with the tunes, you know, like oh, let's let's yeah, let's 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 open up with the new one, and then let's illustrate with the one from the first album, and uh, by text, I try to identify this as well. And I, I suppose as well, like not having your own voice means that you're not projecting opinions onto you know the artist and and their voice speaks for themselves i mean uh, the latest one that i just listened to was um tasha zapala who was tasmanian but was was busking in melbourne Mm -hmm. but she's very folky and bluesy kind of nora jones type and i really i was really into that i was just listening to that non-stop because i find that kind of stuff very relaxing that the move towards cashless a cashless society is definitely changing busking um i'm still quite old school still rely on cash tips um i'd i'd like i'd like to sell tapes if i could (laughs) i don't i don't really know how it will look in the future sort of obviously directing people to online platforms is super important 
there will be a lot of changes in the way that artists will need to, yeah, I think that there'll be a lot of changes that artists will need to make, but I also think that there maybe needs to be some bigger structural changes to make it sustainable, for sure. Take the trolley out of town with a train started to me. And, and she seemed very polished as well, but there, there are some that are unpolished and you know you don't you have an eclecticism of of genre and style and even even ability you know in, in a way and i like the fact that because your voice is not there that there's also a sort of sense of non-hierarchy about the you know here's somebody that you should take really seriously and here's somebody who's just starting out as you you just said then which i think is really interesting because it bypasses one of my big beefs about music is the idea of you know what's cool what should you be listening to and what what should you you know oh no this is naff this is not 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 worth your time you know what i mean i try not to use it's not even try i don't use the platform as like uh my favorite ones you know like that's, yeah yeah it's like a window to the suite you know <laughs> so I, I and i try to yeah to give the the interview uh, like uh his her time to express themselves you know not yeah. trying to rank anything for sure mm. and i love that the, i've got the spotify and the soundcloud playlist and, and as i said to you just before we came on it, I, I kind of have that on a, a lot and the one good thing about playlists is like for someone like me i don't really have the time or want to go out searching when it comes to i'm a, I'm a film guy and a podcast talk guy so when music comes to me and somebody else has curated it i really i really enjoy that um yeah, I mean, one one of the other things I I, I thought I'd, I'd talk to you about was because your your project has so many kind of medium based elements to it. It's a podcast. It's social media. It's I mean, you call it street music radio. It's online kind of interactive content. Let's say, and again, that word has always got sort of problematic connotations around it obviously on our podcast we talk a lot about what podcasting is and and how do you study podcasting and the debate between radio and and podcasting so i just wondered you know what's your sort of thoughts on the idea of medium specificity you know is there such a thing as radio anymore is there such a thing as podcasting and like from your background as a journalist it's really interesting what podcasting has brought to journalism i think yeah i uh, i was was thinking a lot about it before I started the interview, uh, especially because I was listening the previous episodes, I'm I'm gonna throw here like just like for me podcast it's radio outside of the dial, you know. Okay, that's a great description. Yeah, <laughs> because yeah, yeah. because we are talking about audio production, and uh, sometimes uh, uh, I I I I'm observing the discussion and I realize. Aren't we just having the same conversation about like this is cinema, this is not cinema? When like the movie, oh, if the movie just if the movie is recorded on a smartphone, that's not cinema. That's something else. Yeah, no. yeah. I think it's cinema. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's it's a it's um it's film production, right? And uh, and uh, not talking about quality and the genre and style but the the output is movie production and the output is audio production like when uh 
the things that the fun of it, the fun of the podcast, the podcast to, to use the tools to produce a podcast is before you are not because you are not on a uh, on, on a dial like because you don't need to it's not so strict the length and the style uh, if you are independent or kind of independent uh, then you, you you have the chance to experiment but at the in the end of the day we are talking about audio right yeah and, uh, but I but I, I don't see this like oh this is radio and this is podcast it's yeah it's it's more about like okay where did you did you because there is a lot of a lot of uh, programs that you listen to the, in the radio and then they are podcast later yeah they yeah. become podcast later so like yeah, it's just yeah. different different houses right yeah yeah i mean it's interesting because i think that your your background because you come from an audio production background it's easy for you to sort of slip into those modes i suppose isn't it and yeah it's it's fascinating because maybe that question comes from more of a, a sort of overview structural perspective like for somebody like me who now podcasters has never done any radio it's like I, it's not that i don't want to be described as what i'm doing as radio but it doesn't it's not bounded by all of the strictures that radio has so the dial is one the, the you know the sense of broadcast flow you know i've never listened to radio with a sense of oh this is inspiring me to podcast in a certain way it just comes from that independent kind of approach yeah. and it's interesting that your you your project does come from that background i think and, and i think like thinking about now like if podcast has uh old uncle would be like a the pirate radio not, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great point. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. if you think about, okay, who who's podcast related to? Oh, mm. the Pride Radio, not not yeah. the 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 hard news twenty four seven radio with bulletin news and and the top forty, uh, but the what's the word? The subversive ones. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the ones that are, that, that are kind of uh resisting or it's, or yeah. you know the, I, the traditions i i got i got the image like if you think about if you visualize podcast it would be like this 24 hour late night radio you know yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> that no one is yeah. in the studio and you can do whatever you want yeah 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 <laughs> well while the while the, the cats away the mice will play and then suddenly the mice have taken over you know? yeah yes <laughs> From your perspective, what's the kind of podcasting ecosystem like in in Brazil and South America? I mean, is there a lot of sort of talk in media about how podcasting is part of the ecosystem? You know, are there, are there big named podcasts, or is there you know a strong independent sector yeah. in South America? Yeah, for sure. Like, uh, I'm not a big follower uh, of the scene, but uh, as a rephrasing, I'm not a, a big listener, but I. I, I know what's going on. Uh, once one thing that I, there is a lot of uh, roundtable podcasts. Sure. And uh, I see that, especially on the, the ranks on the top top twenty, top forty podcasts, a lot of people that got big on as YouTubers, and uh, they now have the podcast version. I see that right. like if you if you think about the top like the most popular ones is like 
it's that person that is or was huge on YouTube. Right. And then you are, instead of listening and watching, you are just listening, You're just right? just listening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. So it's... I don't see too much like virtuosity on the editing, for example. Oh, okay. That's interesting. But just like opinions, opinions and opinions. Right. And, uh, yeah. and if you go to different niches, for sure, then you can play around like, especially that's that that's the, the, the expression that comes to my mind. But short documentaries about some specific thing or the daily news. And sure. uh, I think the, the biggest example well, you got the biggest example of the planet. It's what the, the New York Times did with the daily, yeah. and you have like yeah. the big new, the biggest newspapers in Brazil doing this. The right. biggest newspapers. So there's a mimicry to what's going on internationally in that, in yeah. that sense. And uh, in Brazil and Australia as well, you see like the yeah. Guardian or ABC doing the same approach. You know, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Daniel, thanks so much for taking the the time to to speak to me. Um, how long have you got now for the writing up when will you know i mean not to put you on the spot but is there a long time to go or are you I, nearly there I need, I need to present on to 2023 oh okay so mm. you've got you've got time yeah and you're yeah. still so you're sort of in the middle then is yeah right in soft timeline good in the midway and uh the good thing about digital virtual like zoom like because i i got the chance to know so many street musicians in the last year now I'm going to be able, if everything goes right, I'm going to be able to reach them again. I can interview, like doing like a longer interview through through the internet. And that's that's something really I, I was, of course, I believe like everyone else, I was afraid if a Zoom interview would be intense or, you know, productive because you don't have like the face-to-face. -face. But, yeah. but I realized that I'm really, I'm really happy with the... The outcome, people uh, seem like really comfortable to to dialogue through through these small screens. You know, like I was afraid, like oh, if I don't have like the feeling of the street, I could lose something. But at the end of the day, uh, I'm having like a really interesting result as this digital field work. You know. Yeah, I I have a, a PhD student who I was talking about this subject and. The question that, that she asked was, do you think that the interviewee, knowing that this is going to be a podcast, is going to change the way that they talk and, you know, they have a different reaction? And and they, they, they saw that as a problem. I said, no, no, this isn't a problem. What it does is it opens up that question about how any medium affects the content or affects the relationship between the the participant and the the interviewer so you just have to acknowledge that and work 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 through that so i suppose that's what you know you you'll be you'll be doing that yourself yeah and it's it's like you know like uh, that discussion about the language of documentary like everybody's always acting right once you see the red light yeah you are not yourself you are there's something. a sense of performance yeah, yeah, yeah you yeah, you yeah. start to perform so yeah. and there's that's why uh, I just remember like some that uh, technique. What should I say? Like screen tests yeah. that like yeah. oh turn off the red light, turn off the red light <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> to get some... it affects them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. psychologically. Yeah, brilliant. Well, we'll definitely have you uh, back on when you get to the end, when you've when you've graduated and uh, and and hear about the, the sort of development 
particularly, I think, these interesting sort of theoretical and methodological questions and whether it becomes, you know, more of a practice-led submission would be really interesting to hear about. Daniel, thanks so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Daniel.